This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. People will become Christians when they hear you share the gospel with them. People become Christians when they hear you share the gospel with them. Showing the character of Christ, having the character of Christ is important. Not demonstrating this can undermine our message, but people will not come into a saving relationship with Jesus by only watching you. They'll become Christians by listening to you. The Bible tells us people become Christians by hearing the gospel, which means someone has to communicate the gospel to them. In the context of Paul expressing a deep yearning he has to see Israel come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, he says this, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent, as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So one of the basic jobs that Jesus gave us to do is to tell people about him. In fact, in the Gospels, when someone had a life-transforming encounter with Christ, they couldn't help but blab about him to everyone. The book of Acts carries this mission forward. The most striking piece of evidence that someone has blabbed about Jesus is the presence of a church. Oh, look, a church in Iconium. Somebody must have told these people about Jesus. Oh, look, a church in Lystra. Somebody must have been talking up Jesus here. Oh, look. A church in Mequon, Cedarburg, Grafton, Port Washington, Sockville. People have been talking about Jesus here. One of the most basic jobs Jesus gave us to do is to tell people about him. And the evidence that that has happened is the presence of a church. The parable of the sower is probably most closely associated with how one hears hearing the word. But the nature of parables invites us in to read them from different angles, from different perspectives, provided by the characters in the story that Jesus tells us. So you could read this parable from the perspective of the soils, or you could read this from the perspective of the sower, which is what we'll do today. Mark chapter 4. Mark 4. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, Listen, 
A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they could not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others like seeds sown on rocky places. Hear the word and at once receive it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others like seeds sown among thorns hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others like seeds sown on good soil hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. The sower is an evangelist. Scattering seed, the seed of the word, into places where no seed has been scattered. We're going to notice four things from this. We scatter indiscriminately. We are realistic about the opposition. We scatter seed, and we sleep well, but not right now. (laughs) We scatter indiscriminately. We are realistic about the opposition. We scatter seed, and we sleep well. First, we scatter indiscriminately. In Jesus' parable, the sower is not careful nor precise when it comes to where the seed is scattered. Certainly, this is due in part to the kind of seed being scattered. This is not corn, which requires a specified amount of spacing. But even considering that detail, why does the sower scatter seed on the walking path? The way Jesus communicates indicates this did not happen accidentally, but purposefully. The sower is scattering seed indiscriminately. Everywhere. It's as if the sower's job isn't to make decisions about where the seed goes, other than everywhere. This is a great reminder to us. We are the sowers. Our job is simple to understand, yet difficult to execute. Reticence, passivity, maybe our greatest foes with regard to this. And we think, oh, well, you know, that person is not going to be open to the gospel, so we keep quiet. But do you see what Jesus is saying? He's taking that decision out of your hands. That's not your call to make. 
It's our job to scatter the gospel indiscriminately, regardless of what we think the outcome will be. Some of you have quite the following on social media. Why not post a four to five sentence presentation of the gospel every month, every week? Some of you have got the TikTok thing going on too, where you do these videos. 60 seconds? I don't know how the rules go on that one. You got 60 seconds to share the gospel. Why not? What are you waiting for? How about this one? I believe the mortality rate among human beings is 100%. Start with that. See what happens. This is a problem. I also believe Jesus existed and was who he said he was. This is the solution. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Do you believe this? Start there. Go ahead, take a pick. I know you got phones. <laughs> take a pick. Some of you are close, close friends with lost people. Have they heard the gospel from you? The sower here is so intent on a harvest that he's willing to sow seed over every square inch of his field and beyond in hopes that good soil might somewhere be found. You look at this, you say, well, why is he scattering everywhere? Is it just obligation? Is it just this is what we're supposed to do? No, this is, the, why is he doing this? He is he's looking for good soil. That's why they're, we're scattering indiscriminately. Everywhere to find good soil. That's what you're looking for. Think of it as, think of it as doing a radar sweep. The radar sweep. You've seen the movies. You know, uh, Hunt for Red October. Uh, you, know, you got the radar thing. You know what I'm talking about. The screen, the green, the green line that goes around. You understand what I'm saying? No, you have no idea what I'm saying. <laughs> the, it's on a screen, and the green line goes around, and when there's a ship found, it, it pings, right? It, it, it lights up. Yes? Yes. yes. That's your imagery. That's what scattering seed is. Okay? This is what the sower's doing. This is the purpose of it. Scattering indiscriminately. Why? To locate the ships. <laughs> to locate the good soil. Um, let me try a different bit of imagery on this. Um, a handful of years ago, I saw this television show called Deadliest Catch. Anybody ever hear of this, this thing? This thing's about um, crab fishermen in the Bering Sea, Alaska's Bering Sea. Um, what, what was interesting about this is not all crab boats are the same. Some are really big, and some are fairly small in comparison. And the size of your boat does impact your ability to canvas terrain because you can't fit as many crab pots on your boat. It's like big baskets, right? They, they bait them, they throw them over, sit on the bottom, and crab come in. Yeah. The big boats have got a lot more baskets. They can cover more terrain. There's a bigger swath of it. This is what they're doing. What are they... They're looking for good soil. 
They're looking for the crab. This is what you're doing when you scatter seed. You're looking for good soil. Think about this in terms of church planting. On occasion, you'd have a crab fisherman striking out left and right, not finding anything. And so what does this crab fisherman do? He, he calls up another crab boat captain, one that would be the closest thing to being an acquaintance because nobody's friends when you're out on the sea. And what does he do? He beats around the bush, attempting to find out if that particular captain has, is on the crab. Want to know if you're on the crab, right? It's not working in my area. Maybe it's working in his area. So what do we do when we church plant? We increase the fleet. We increase the fleet. And we send them to a different part. Because we want to get on the crab. We want to scatter seed as far and wide as possible to find the good soil. This is why we send and support missionaries into many nations, tribes, peoples, and languages. Why do we do that? Because we want to find good soil. See, that's the point. The point is to find good soil. And keep in mind, Jesus said there would be good soil. It's his story. There will be good soil. That was driven home to me most clearly in seminary when in my first semester, I took an evangelism class required of the MDiv program. And one of the assignments was to share the gospel with 10 people throughout the course of the semester. Most of us were transplants. We had moved to Chicagoland area from not just all over the country, but the world to go to school there. Nobody in their first semester has connections, friendships with lost people. So every one of mine was cold turkey evangelism. It's terrifying. I'll tell you that right now. It's terrifying. So what do you do? How do you get in? How do you, how do, you do this? How do you start this conversation? You know, early on, I was trying to beat around the bush, and, you know, I just never got there. So eventually, I got to the point where I'd just sit down next to a person in Barnes & Noble and say, I'd like to talk about God. <laughs> and then you go on and on and on. Ten people throughout the course of the semester. How many of those ten responded in repentance and faith? Zero. None. None. At least in the moment, none. I was in a class of 70 students. Throughout the course of that semester, 700 people heard the gospel. Every week, we heard at least one story of someone coming to faith in Christ. My field of 10 people, nothing. You get 70 people collectively, you get a bigger field, yeah, bigger terrain, and we found some good soil. We found some good soil. Imagine what could happen with our church. Four, five, six hundred of you scattering seed. Big terrain. Big terrain. Good soil will be found. It'll be found. 
It's our job to scatter the gospel indiscriminately, regardless of what we think the outcome will be. Second, we are realistic about the opposition. There are three distinct sources of opposition Jesus wants to make us aware of. The first is Satan. The seed that was scattered on the path is gobbled up immediately by birds. Jesus explains to us that Satan takes away the word that is sown in them. So this ministry of seed scattering is profoundly spiritual. And it's passages like this that make me wonder if sometimes we spend too much time on technique and argumentation, not realizing just how spiritual the ministry of evangelism mission is. The picture here is of someone quick to dismiss the gospel. They may give this or that reason for refusing to believe, but Jesus is letting you know that those are surface answers that spring up from a deeper issue. The reality of Satan and what he does. Satan is real. We have a real spiritual enemy. When someone rejects the gospel, listen carefully to this, you need to hear this. When someone rejects the gospel, it's not because you messed up. When someone rejects the gospel, it's not because you messed up. You engaged in the spiritual battle that has been fought for for centuries. And our enemy took away the seeds that were scattered. So maybe it's here that we ought to pause and acknowledge an obvious reality. Prayer is indispensable to evangelism. Satan is smarter, craftier, and more alluring than any of us. You will not be able to outwit him or outmaneuver him. Were you playing him in a game of chess, he would win 10 times out of 10. So when we're scattering the seed of the gospel into the ears of the lost... What are we praying for? Let me show it to you. Ephesians chapter 2. As for you, you were dead. This is the first clue. What it is we're praying for? What it is we're trying to see happen? You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the rule of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. But because of his great love for us, God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you've been saved. When sharing the gospel with someone who's not a follower of Jesus Christ, what we're attempting there is a resurrection. (laughs) To raise someone from the dead. Seed scattering takes place in cemeteries. And the act of raising the dead is far beyond our ability to manufacture If there's one thing the Gospels make abundantly clear, Jesus is the one who raises dead people. So prayer is indispensable to evangelism. One missionary was once asked about his model of doing missions. Long-time missionary. He said, I've had the same model for decades. Here's what I do. Pray, meet people, Tell them about Jesus. That's his model. Lifelong missionary. Lifelong missionary. You want to know how I do it? Here's how I do it. I pray, I meet people, and I tell them about Jesus. Rinse and repeat. 
It's our job to scatter the gospel indiscriminately, regardless of what we think the outcome will be, in hopes that good soil might somewhere be found. Second enemy is the world. The seed that falls on rocky soil initially grows, but eventually dies due to lack of root. And Jesus likens this to people who initially respond with joy to the gospel. But trials, hardship, persecution, social pressure that we may face because we're Christians proves to be too much. And they fall away. See, this world is filled with people whose throats are open graves, whose tongues practice deceit. It's filled with people whose mouths are full of cursing and bitterness and whose feet are quick to shed blood. That's from the Bible. So let's not attempt to put a glossy veneer over the top of how Scripture describes us. You could not have lived this life any better than Jesus. And yet there were still people who wanted him dead and got their wish. There is real evil and there are real evil people in the world. And they will stop at no end to see the gospel advancement stymied. So Jesus is being very realistic. In some situations, this friction, this confrontation will overwhelm the newly professing believer. But it ought never deter us from our straightforward responsibility. It is our job to scatter the gospel indiscriminately, regardless of what we think the outcome will be, in hopes that good soil might somewhere be found. Our third enemy is the flesh. The flesh. Man's natural bent, will, and desires. You want to know what the flesh is? It's the reason you never have to teach a child how to throw a temper tantrum. You never have to show them how to do that. It's what we're like in our natural state. The flesh. Now once again, there's an initial positive response. The seed becomes a plant. But the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for things render this person unfruitful. You'll recall Jesus' cursing of the fig tree seven chapters later. Which gives us no confidence fruitless Christianity is actual Christianity. So again, here's a short-lived profession of faith. Opposition to the spread of the gospel comes from all directions, from Satan. We have a real, live, breathing, spiritual opponent. It comes from the world. Human beings, apart from Christ, are evil, and they will do the devil's bidding. And the flesh, our natural inclinations, are not in the direction of loving God and loving others. So on a purely statistical analysis, this investment doesn't seem to yield a great return. Ostensibly, 75% of the seed scattered does not produce fruit. Keep that in mind as you're scattering widely out there. Be realistic about the opposition we face and the headwinds we encounter as we share the gospel with the world. But remember, even though the outlook looks grim, it's our job to scatter the gospel indiscriminately regardless of what we think the outcome will be in hopes that good soil might somewhere be found. It is not, friend, it is not your job to produce fruit in other people. It is not your job to produce fruit in other people. It is your job to scatter seed into the four corners of your life in hopes that good soil might somewhere be found. 
Third, we scatter seed. No modifications are made to the seed in order to make it conducive to fruit bearing. Let me say it again. No modifications are made to the seed in order to make it conducive to fruit bearing. The sower doesn't modify the seed to make it fruitful in rocky soil. The seed scattered on good soil is the same seed scattered on all others that do not bear fruit. So solving the problem of fruitlessness is never a matter of tinkering with the seed. Owen Strand writes this. He says, we do not calibrate Christianity to the specifications of unbelievers and present that sanitized, culturally approved form of it to them. Instead, we proclaim the whole counsel of God and we live by it. We are not responsible for sanding off the edges of the biblical faith. We are not called to offer people a palatable religion that they naturally like and find inoffensive. We are called to preach the gospel to fellow image bearers who are drunk on their sin. So we don't solve the problem of fruitlessness by modifying or tinkering with the seed. The way in which Jesus presents the parable makes it transparent. The problem of fruitlessness fruitlessness lies not with the seed, but the soil. The problem lies not with the word of God, but the hearer. And you, as a sower, are not responsible to tinker with the soil either. For the ancient farmer, the soil was more or less an inherited state of affairs. You might say, well, I have been faithfully scattering seed and nobody has been responding. I say to you, great, you've been successful. You've been faithful. Maybe God's put you on a path. That's where you are. Move into another part of your field. And keep in mind, it's only from your perspective that nobody has responded. You don't have God's perspective. That might tell a different story. Rico Tice shares a story with us that's encouraging. He writes this, My schoolboy evangelistic efforts were not very smooth or sensitive, and yet God used them. Here's how one of my contemporaries, Richard, remembers it. He writes, I knew Rico at school, though not well. We were in different classes, though we played in the same cricket team. He's British. And I distinctly remember Rico's conversion at school. I suspect if you ask most of our contemporaries, they too would remember it, even though it was over 30 years ago. Why was it so memorable? Well, for two reasons. Firstly, the merciless reaction shown towards Rico, the constant public and private attempts to humiliate him and to get him to relinquish his newfound faith, which went on for many, many months. Secondly, what really stuck with me was how Rico carried himself during such a difficult time for him. The easy option would have been to turn back or to keep quiet, but Rico stuck to his faith and kept talking about his faith. Although I didn't realize it at the time, Rico's conversion and resolute faith sowed the first seed in my mind. Who was it that gave Rico the strength to continue down such a difficult path? That was the first stage in my own journey, which many years later led me to Jesus. When I finally accepted Jesus into my life, one of the first things I felt needed, I needed to do was to write Rico 
despite not having been in contact with him for over 10 years, to let him know how his journey and struggle at school had helped me on my way. 10 years. 10 years. Charles Bridges put it well. He said, the seed may lie under clods until we lie there and then spring up. It's our job to scatter the gospel indiscriminately regardless of what we think the outcome will be in hopes that good soil might somewhere be found. Last, we sleep well. Just a few verses later in this chapter, Jesus resumes talking about a sower and seed. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. The farmer, the expert, cannot explain how it grows. The wonder of the gospel is this. You sow the gospel, you go to sleep, and it grows. We have no control over it. We don't know how it happens. All the forces that come to bear on making that seed grow are separate from the farmer. I'll give you an example to think about. At the end of Luke's gospel, Jesus is on the cross, convicted felons on each side of him. Jesus is naked, bleeding, beaten. Insults and ridicule barrel headlong at him from the crowd gathered beneath him. From a human viewpoint, visually, socially, culturally, psychologically, Jesus is defeated. Jesus is being treated as the rankest of criminals, the basest of people. There is nothing convincing about his current position and posture to make anybody think other than this man is a fake. From a human standpoint, sarcasm is perfectly reasonable response. Are you kidding? You're supposed to be the Messiah? Next to Jesus is a thief, presumably Jewish, who knows all the ins and outs of the Jewish religion. His response from all appearances, again, is reasonable. Jesus, you're a joke. And then we have the other criminal. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Keep in mind, this man is saying this to and about a man who is naked, nailed to a cross, beaten, mocked, and scorned. Very unimpressive looking. How do you explain that thief's response to Jesus? The only explanation is the power of of God at work on this man's soul. Look up here. Do you really think your cleverness is the source of someone's conversion? Jesus is at his weakest, 
most vulnerable, looking totally defeated, hanging on a cross. And beside him, the Spirit of God brings life into a dead heart, light into a blinded soul, and clear faith and understanding bursts forth. Salvation comes, and that very day, that thief is in paradise. There is no human explanation for that or any other response of faith from someone far from Christ. It's our job, folks, to scatter the word indiscriminately, regardless of what we think the outcome will be, in hopes that good soil might somewhere be found. And then we go to bed. Would you bow your heads with me? Inevitably, this message will have a way of bringing to mind names and faces of people you know who are far from Christ, people you've been praying for, people you have communicated the gospel with. Let's just take a minute. Take a minute. Intercede for them. And ask God to raise them from death to life. Lord, we pray that you would give us the courage to scatter the gospel far and wide. It is not our job to make decisions about who gets to hear and who doesn't. It's our job to scatter to the four corners of our lives. Lord, give us the courage to do that. And Lord, I pray that as we do, we would keep in mind the reality that you've painted for us, that there is opposition. We have a real spiritual enemy. The world is filled with people who are in bondage to him. Our natural inclinations are not in your direction. So I pray that our lives would be saturated with prayer. For it's you who has to do the heavy lifting. It's you who has to give sight to the blind. Hearing to the deaf. Lord, we pray for those faces, those names that are running through our minds now. That, that even now, your spirit would convict, 
and draw them to Jesus. And as we attempt this, Lord, as we move out in faith, I pray that you would grow our trust in you, deepen, intensify our allegiance to Jesus Christ, who is worthy of all of this and more. For his glory we pray these things. Amen.